Now, our scriptures today, we see in them a change in the fabric of life. You ever become aware of the the normality of life, day in, day out? That you work your job, you cook your meals, you go to bed, you get up, you do the same thing. Governments come and go. Civilizations rise and fall, and every day is Monday. (laughs) There is such a thing as this normal. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something else doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right? This is what we're used to. It's normal. But then... What we're going to see here is a new normal arrives. And it's the way things are going to be forever. This is astonishing. This is scary. Because in reality, people don't deal well with change. We know what that person is like. We've known them all our lives. We have our ways of living. This is how we do things. And then what? It changes? I've seen it happen over and over again. Something changes. People don't know what to do with it. But this is really the gospel, that a new way of living has arrived with power and hope and joy. This new normal is God with us. And I'm reading in Luke 1 from verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So, you know, we're coming into the middle of a story here. As we pick it up, the thing to notice is that the word of God is being fulfilled. That is, this angel appears to Zacharias as he's burning incense in the temple and says his wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son in her old age. She did. The angel said the birth would bring joy and gladness to many. And of course, she's been enjoying joy and gladness for nine months. Just thinking about this. God is taking away my reproach among men. And she's got this little glow, this little chuckle, this little you wait and see. This is the way God is dealing with me. And here's the relatives and the neighbors rejoicing with her. What do you know? 
As the angel said, the baby was filled with the Holy Spirit while still in her womb. So that was fulfilled. But there's one thing not fulfilled just yet. And that is, Zacharias still can't speak. Now, I don't know if you've ever waited for a delivery to arrive and a date was promised to you, and then it doesn't happen? What is that feeling? Hey, what the? Did I get it right? Now, I don't know what Zacharias is thinking, but the baby is born, right? The angel said, you will not be able to speak until my words are fulfilled in the proper time. And I don't know, I would have thought, but nothing. One day, two days, three days, huh, what's happening? Five, six, seven days? Would you feel a little strange at this point? Like, what is God doing? Well, God did not forget, and he's not sloppy about the fulfillment of his promises. But God is wanting to make a point. And what happens is not the usual thing. In fact, the point that God wants to make is in the naming of the baby. That is the one thing that the angels spoke about that hasn't been fulfilled yet. They were to give him the name of John. All right? So, let's read in verse 59. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now, you notice that the relatives and the neighbors are happy about the baby, but they don't know about the baby's significance. It says, you know, we have a birth. Let's be happy. Let's name him. But they don't know who this baby is. That's because nobody's told them. Zacharias could have written something to him, I suppose, but he didn't. And Elizabeth could have told him, 
But she didn't. They just kept this to themselves. And I don't know. Maybe they thought this is on God. Let God do what is good in his sight. But they didn't go around saying, this is the forerunner. Who's going to believe him? You know, if it's of God, let him do it. So here are the neighbors and the relatives, and they've come to circumcise the baby. This is the sign of the covenant of being in the people of God. The baby is to be circumcised on the eighth day. It's symbolic of having a heart that has all the hardness cut away to be responsive and submitted to God. Now, it's also interesting that there's more clotting factor in the blood of an eight month or eight day baby than that baby, that person will have in their entire life. Somehow there's a surge on the eighth day. So this baby is actually well protected for this operation that has to happen. Make of it what you will. Now, evidently, this is when you name your baby. It's all part of it. Coming into the covenant with God, we're going to name the baby. And you notice, they're kind of taking charge. There's all the relatives and the neighbors together, and they're saying, well, well we're going to name the baby out. Zacharias. That is the name for this baby. Now, we think, forget you. We're the parents. We're going to do this. But they think it's normal. So evidently, that's how you do things. And they think Zacharias is a great name for this baby. Zacharias Jr., and that's fitting because people will hear that name, evidently, and say, Zacharias. Why, that's the name of your father, a good guy. And why, you're his legacy. And when we hear your name, we think of him. And isn't it wonderful that your name is a tribute to such a good man? So it this name is really pointing back to Zacharias. That's what they're thinking. This is what a baby is for, to be your legacy. But see, contrary to custom and tradition, both Elizabeth and Zacharias push back. They resist this. They say, no. And Elizabeth is very strong here. No, indeed. His name is John. And you look at the reaction in verse 61. What? What are you talking about? There's no one in your family with that name. That's not our custom. That's not through tradition. That's different to who we are. Why would you make the child different? So they go over her head to Zacharias. Come on, man. 
Zacharias, you want your son to be called Zacharias, right? I mean, right? And Zacharias is just as strong. Absolutely not. They get him a tablet. He writes, his name is John. And it says there, they all marveled. This means their minds are blown. This is different. This is like, I'm baffled. I don't, I don't understand this. This is not the usual. Now, Zacharias has named the baby with the name that God said to name him. Now, everything about the birth is fulfilled. And it's at this point that Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit and he can speak. And he is gripped with intense joy because God is fulfilling his promises right now. And he is aware that God himself is coming. In verse 67, it says, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Now, Zacharias has had nine months to think, to be aware that he can't talk, but he can still think. And he's thinking about the meaning of all this. First of all, that God is good. 
You know, he didn't believe the angel. Can you imagine he pushed back to a spiritual being right in front of him and he says, uh-uh, that isn't going to work. And he's still alive. The angel didn't punish him. He disciplined him. Completely different. Everything difficult that God does in your life is to discipline you, not to punish you. And funny enough about God's discipline and the difficult things that he makes you go through is it humbles you. And you see the good in what God is doing, and you actually thank him for it. Can you imagine he made Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, eat grass like a cow for seven years? His fingernails are growing, and his hair is all matted, and he's kind of dirty, and he's down on all fours. Seven years later, his brains come back. What's the first thing he says? Thank you, God. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. Thank you that I have the ability to think. Thank you that you gave my mind back to me. Thank you, God. See, God is the only one who can do that, who can humble you so that you will thank him in the end. It's amazing. And just see if his discipline does not bring you to that point, that you actually thank God for all that difficult time that you experienced. It's for your blessing. And that is what Zacharias is experiencing. Now, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you have this heightened knowledge and understanding. And he's been thinking about it for nine months. But imagine that rush when it becomes so clear, so obvious to him what God is doing. And so he's actually speaking forth the word of God. That's what it means to prophesy. And you notice, he is speaking about it as though it has already happened. In verse 68, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, again, it's in motion. Technically, it hasn't happened yet. But Zacharias is going, yes! It's as certain as completed. It is just as certain as Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished. This is the covenant with Abraham. This is the covenant with Moses and with David. And it's being fulfilled 
right now. No word of God shall ever fail. This is the joy that Zacharias is experiencing. And what he says in this prophecy from the Lord is that all the promises and covenants of God are fulfilled by one person with the power of God. Now he says in verse 69 that God has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David. A horn is an Old Testament symbol of power. And that's why altars are made with horns or projections from the four corners. It symbolizes the fact that sacrifice here is effective. Even the altar of prayer that's in the temple or in the tabernacle, it's this little tiny thing. It's not very big at all. It's just for burning incense. It's overlaid with gold, but there's horns on the four corners of the altar. And the reason for that is this is where prayer is effective. So a horn of salvation means this person has the power for effective salvation. And this power is a person from the family of David. That's verse 69. And see, this is according to the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. One of his descendants would rule from his throne forever. A human being. But then you notice in verse 76, he says that the child will be called the prophet of the highest. You will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. See, God is coming. The God who made the promises, who made the covenants, who had it written all down, God himself is coming. This person with the power of salvation is man and he is God. So you might ask the question, why do you need God to come as a man with salvation and redemption and power? And the reason is because of Israel's enemies, because of their sin, and because of their darkness. You notice this that he's talking about in verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. When you see that word hand, it's a symbol of power. You know how the villain says, you're in my hand now. That's power. And Israel has always had enemies hating them and wanting to destroy them completely. This is one thing you learn as you read the Old Testament and the histories. 
you realize there's any number of nations that are ready at any time to run over Israel, dominate, oppress, and even exterminate them completely. It's always happening. Even to this day, we have nuclear threat hanging over our heads because there are some people that want to destroy Israel completely. And they would like to do it with nuclear weapons. So we're living with this threat because of Israel. But really here, the ultimate enemy is the devil. Israel is a testimony to the existence of God. The Bible says that God made moves to choose for himself a people. The nations all have their national God. The Assyrians have their God, Asher. The Babylonians have their God, Marduk. And Israel has their God, Yahweh. Now, everybody knows there really isn't a Marduk, and there really isn't an Asher, so there really isn't a Yahweh, right? Uh-uh. No, this is the one true God. See, there's a, there's a hostility there. You mean you're right, and we're wrong. Well, you could put it that way, but it's not arrogance. God really did these things. This is really the truth. The existence of Israel is a testimony to the one true living God. Now, because Satan opposes God, one of his goals is to wipe out the nation of Israel, destroy it completely. That would show that, no, he is not the true God. Our God is the true God. So it's actually... A theological problem. Who's right? Who is God? Well, here's the testimony. Here is the paper trail. But also, there's a whole nation that says, we are here because God chose us. So that's Israel. They have enemies, and the ultimate enemy is the devil. Now, you know, the devil is not just against the Jews. The devil is against every single person because every single person is made in the image of God and is a testimony to God. So, yes, wipe out the nation of Israel, but let's wipe out everybody. So, like it or not, even Gentiles have a supreme enemy. Ephesians 2, verse 2, says, The devil is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. 1 John 5 says that we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And when you're in the hand of the enemy, you're in his power. Now, the devil is a spirit. It's not flesh and blood. He doesn't get tired. He also doesn't play by the rules. Wait till you're rested, feeling good. Let's go three rounds, no hit below the belt. He fights dirty. 
He hits you when you're down. He's waiting for an opportunity. How do you fight the devil? Who's got that kind of power? The reason the devil has power is because of sin. That's in verse 77. Sin. This is disobeying God's laws. You know that he is the author of life? Therefore, he has the authority to say, this is how you treat people. This is how you deal with me. And he's put it out in black and white. But you know, everybody has sinned against God. Everybody has disobeyed God. Everybody still does that to this day. Everyone has lied. I have never met a person who hasn't told a lie. That's how you stop somebody. You ever told a lie? Well, yeah. Okay, right there. But you've also been disobedient to your parents. And you've also stolen. And you've cheated. Some a lot, some a little, but it's all there. Now, sin makes a person the enemy of God. And if we flee from God and throw away his laws and not keep God in our minds, that doesn't make God go away. He's going to judge the world in righteousness. And the punishment that sin deserves is death. Eternal separation from God, who is the life. Eternal punishment. Now, you know, there's no way that a person can win that fight. And you find out how deep sin goes in you and disobedience. When you try to work on yourself... You ever done that? Said, well, I want to fix this about me. And you start working on it. And you find out you don't even want to obey yourself. And you go, wait a minute. You're me. I want you to get in line here with the program. And you tell yourself to go jump in the lake. Forget you, pal. I'm going to eat what I want. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to stay up as late as I want. And you go, what is this? You're not in control. You can't change it. And this is what the Bible says. Jeremiah 17 says, The sin of Judah is written down with an iron stylus. With a diamond point, it is engraved upon the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. As they remember their children, so they remember their altars and their ashram by green trees on the high hills. He says, this idolatry is engraved on your heart like an inscription that can be read on stone thousands of years later. 
In other words, permanent. You're not going to go and rub it out. You can't get rid of it. Jeremiah 13 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Why don't you take a bucket of green paint and say to your friend, the Ethiopian, hold still, pal. Did you change his color? No, because it's encoded in his DNA. It's the same with the spots on a leopard. They're not spots. They're colors of hair. It's genetically determined. If you could change the DNA, you could change the spots. Go ahead. See, nobody can go there. That's how bad it is. And Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You have no power over death. There's a third reason you need the power of salvation. That is the darkness that you live in. Do you notice here in verse 79 it says, To give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death? That's a quote from Isaiah chapter 9, which is a messianic chapter. But it's in the context of chapter 8, and this is what it says. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out that when they're hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth, and behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. Now Isaiah says that people look to the dead for answers. And they still do that today. But you know, people also look to scientists for answers. They look to doctors for answers. And they're just as dead in their sins. They're talking to the wrong people. And these answers that people give don't solve anything. They only increase the darkness. There are no solutions. You know, the most famous solution we've got going nowadays is this idea that you change your gender, and that's going to solve all your problems. So what do they do? They give them superficial treatment. Now, it's, it's very deep and extensive. They make cuts on their bodies and give them hormones, and it affects all of their body. 
but it's no more effect than if they took a bucket of green paint and went like that. Because gender is encoded in every one of your trillion cells. And to truly change gender, you would have to recode every cell in your body. Anything less than this is hopelessly superficial. And you know, they never mention that, you know, by the way, this isn't going to work. And it doesn't help anybody's suicidal attitudes. I have a friend in Munich whose sister attempted this transition. And he says, she went in and just says, I'm suicidal. And if you don't do this, I'm going to commit suicide. He says, this is how they do it. They bully their doctors. So she went through the transition, and it didn't change a thing. Now imagine how you feel after all this buildup, and it doesn't work. Now you have mutilated your body, and you have sterilized yourself. You're worse off than when you started. This is the big lie that they're not telling people. They can't do this. But they're pretending that they can. Now this is what it says in Jeremiah 6. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Now this word for brokenness is a word that talks about a shattering that is so complete there is no useful bit left over. That's how complete this ruin is, and they're saying, oh well, you have a brain tumor, here's an ibuprofen. Think good thoughts. Now you know, it's criminal for a doctor to treat symptoms without going to the cause. And it doesn't matter if all your symptoms are dealt with but the cause is untouched, and you die of that cause. So this is a difficult situation. Here's Zacharias gripped with joy. It's bursting out of him. It's the first thing he could say in nine months. And he is just ripping in praise to God, because God is doing something about this, it is a new normal. God is going to deal with all of these problems with power. And you know what the real cause is? Of the darkness, the sin, and this power of the devil. It comes from no relationship with God. 
The only solution is to restore relationship with God. But before any of this happens, you have to be aware of the cause yourself. And you know, when you talk to people about this, problems in the world, yeah, we got buckets of it. You bring up the solution, you need a relationship with God. They go, what? What's that going to do? How's it going to put food on my table and pay my bills and get this done and that done? And It's like, that's so impractical. What kind of a solution is that? Well, that's because there's no understanding. There's no grasp of this is the real problem. And you have to understand, it's not because I come from an oppressed ethnic group. It's not because I identify as another gender. It's not because I'm ADHD. You have to grasp, the problem is, I am separated from God. I am dead in my sins and transgressions. That's why I'm in darkness. That's why I'm unable to change my life. That's why I'm helpless. It says, God isn't powerless, that he's not able to save you. He's not deaf, so that he can't hear you, but your sins have separated you from your God so that he does not hear you. Now, if you understand, if you get it, I'm in the dark, dominated by the devil, a slave to sin because I have no relationship with God. See, then you're in a position to receive knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of your sins. You're in a position to appreciate that. You're ready to know God's tender mercy. You're ready to have the day spring from on high come in and give you light. He's going to guide your feet into the path of peace. Won't that be fabulous? And here's the power. Jesus paid the price of death for your sin. That's power. He rose from the dead. That's power over death. And he gives new life and his spirit in power. And that's why this baby is not the usual baby. And that's why we're not going to name him Zacharias. People have to get used to that. And already it's kind of freaking them out. Can you, can you sense the ripples that are happening right now that is kind of breaking up the same old, same old? Everything just kind of putts along as normal. They're all talking about it. And they're going, what is this? 
They're getting interested in thinking, what is this child going to be? What is going on? You see, it's already starting that people are thinking about, what is this? What is God doing? And they're discussing what Zechariah said. This baby is not about Zacharias, pointing to Zacharias. Oh, what a great guy Zacharias is. This baby is pointing to God. The name John means gift of God. That's what John is about. So, there is an old normal. Everybody here knows what I'm talking about. It just rolls along, and it's grim, a little grimmer, less grim, but mostly grim. Darkness. The real issue is sin. The real issue is no relationship with God. The real issue is this darkness that we live in. And the new normal is God close, not 10 bazillion light years away out there juggling galaxies right here, giving us life, giving us holiness, giving us this purpose, living with him. We get to worship God and serve him in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. It's not going to change. It's here to stay. There's a new normal. And you know, this is one of the names that God gave Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us. It's a permanent thing. He's not going to change his mind. And when you receive him, he makes a new normal in your life because it's him coming with power. And you can say, honestly, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is always going to be true in your life. There's never a time when it's not true because Jesus never goes. So you know, if you haven't received Jesus, receive him today, right now. Let him remove your sins. Let him give him, give you his spirit to enable you and let him put the devil out of business in your life. If you have received Jesus, beware that you don't go back to the old normal because that's the easiest thing in the world to do. Let that normal, the, the Monday is every day, just kind of seep back into your life and you live as though God were not there. 
and just say, I can't do this. I can't put up with this. I can't do this. This is a mantra that you can find yourself repeating over and over again. I can't take any more of this. I can't do this. I can't put up with this. I'm too tired. This isn't going to happen. The new normal is that God is with me. And he promised he would never leave me and never forsake me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So, this is the new normal. And that means life from here on in is lived with the Lord. And we say, okay, you're the Lord. Here is my life. It's not up to me to satisfy myself, to decide for myself, to say, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. And start bouncing off of everybody else who says the same thing. Nope, we just say, okay, here I am. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. What do you want? Here I am. You say yes to Jesus. That is the new normal. Let's pray. We're so thankful, Heavenly Father, that you fulfill your word. You speak, and it is. And everything that was still future for Zacharias is fulfilled now. And yet there's more to come. This is the beginning. And the fulfillment, the total fulfillment, is still to come. And we rejoice right now in the hope of glory that you promised. You can't lie. No word of yours is ever going to fail. But for now, we still have to live in the world, in the darkness all around us. And the devil is still, for now, the god of this world. And we even have to deal with our own sin. So here we are. We pray that you would come in all your power and that you would continue your work in us, transforming us into that image of Christ. We thank you for your power in our lives.
be glorified in us, we ask in Jesus' name.